And hey, welcome back. It's the Peachtree Post. Here with all the excitement and promise of an Everton private jet on deadline day and with slightly more rewarding experiences afterward and during. Anyway, alongside Jason Longshore, I'm Jarrett Smith. Hey, Jason, how are you this uh, this week? I'm good. What about you? <laughs> I'm better than Everton. Uh, yeah, this is true. I didn't spend the money on a private jet and then have my phone turned off. have someone turn their phone off while talking to me. <sighs> that's, uh, that's rough. I'm better than Everton, and right now, um, and full disclosure, if you don't know this, we record on Friday on Thursday nights. So as we're doing this, if one of us gets distant, it's because Tennessee is locked into an overtime death match with Appalachian State. So we're also doing better than Tennessee right now. I mean, but is that really saying much? I mean, to start the year, Tennessee, everyone thought Tennessee would be great. So, yeah, this is true. They are ranked number nine. Sorry again. Full disclosure. Uh, I went to Georgia, so. I'm not a big fan of the the volunteer nation. No offense to our our volunteer Atlanta United fans, but yeah, not a fan. Sorry. And and full disclosure, as a Kennesaw State graduate, I have to be salty against them for no reason. But as someone whose family is from Louisiana, I still bleed purple and gold. But um, anyway, on to uh, the other football. <clears throat> uh, you're not here for that. You're here for soccer, and we got you covered in that for Atlanta soccer. Uh, just be warned, you can always find us on Twitter at the Peachtree underscore post. You can also find us online. Uh, you can check us out at Dirty South Soccer. Check out the Mouths of the South as well and Dirty South Soccer itself. It's your home for Atlanta United coverage and soccer coverage, both high-level pro and with the youth academies in Atlanta. You can find Jason at Long Shoe. You can find me, Jarrett Smith, at Jarrett underscore Smith on Twitter. Enough of that. Uh, here's what you can look forward to. Uh, we'll have a roundup of Atlanta United, you know, do our weekly update, what's going on, take a look at the U.S. men's national team, uh, the saga of players being possibly released, possibly being uh, shady, uh, possibly being uh, having shade thrown at them by the MLS, because that always goes over well. And finally, we'll take a look at the week to come. But first, Jason, uh, Atlanta United, uh, let's take a look at the roundup. And first thing on the roundup is uh, Bob Bradley. Bob Bradley's in the news again. Uh, no, he's not taking the U.S. national team job. Let's go ahead and put that to bed right now. But Bob Bradley's in the news. Yeah, uh, Bradley was on the Soccer Today show uh, out of Dallas. And Steve Davis and Mark Stein, who are with ESPN Radio in Dallas, interviewed Bradley. And Bradley you know, let it be known that if there was the right opportunity, he would be interested in an MLS job. So I wrote a piece on Dirty South wondering if Atlanta United could be that right opportunity. Yeah, and um, again, that's a you can go check that out on Dirty South Soccer. It'd be a uh, it's going to be the place to, where you can find all this sort of thing, and um, I highly recommend you do it because it is an interesting idea. Um, I honestly I didn't really think about it, Jason, when it, when I saw it, and I went, well, hmm. I, I could see that. And it seems like something I, I, I would buy that for a nickel or two. Yes. Even. See, for me, like Bradley was always my kind of pie in the sky. Uh, number one choice for Atlanta United. I just didn't think it would actually be a possibility at this point, because I thought after, after his run at Stabæk in Norway ended, you know, maybe it could work out where he would be interested in coming back to the U S 
but he's you know been chasing down the door of just really you know earning respect for american managers and you know i'm i'm sure he feels like he has some unfinished business uh in europe and he's not you know going to take just any job to come back but could atlanta united be that special case that brings him back to the us I think it could be if you you look at how things line up and you look at the things that Bradley mentioned in that interview on Soccer Today, some of the things he's looking for out of a job, Atlanta United might be a really good fit. You know, he's looking for a club that is going to be fully connected, that's going to train their academy players in the same way that they're going to train their first team players and really develop from that perspective. That fits with everything that Carlos Bocanegra and Darren Eels have said. So, you know, could this be a situation where it's a good fit? I think it could be. I think, you know, Bradley's also right now in, you know, League Two in France with Le Havre. Le Havre, I'm going to butcher the name again. I'm sorry for our French speakers. But, you know, would he be interested in leaving that after coming so close to getting them promoted last year? I'm not fully convinced he would. If now that he's opened the door, if I'm Atlanta United, I'm beating down that door with an offer. Yeah, I am too. I'm absolutely on board with that. I, I know the way you say it, the idea that you didn't really think it was a possibility, so you kind of pushed it back. I never even thought about it, to be honest, and I have no issue with it. Now, having said that, I never really thought about it. I had no issue with that at all. I'm totally on board with that idea. But, uh, I mean, yeah, that sounds 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 doable. The question is, and I know we discussed this, is if he'll come over from Europe or if he would uh, want to stay over in Europe. I mean, imagine if he takes if he took uh, Le Havre up to League One, uh, Legon, that'd be a hell of a feat for an American coach to hang his hat on, and. Uh, you touched on this about his uh, work also in Egypt, that he's been really successful. It's not like he just left the U.S. national team and wandered for 40 years doing menial jobs. He's been really successful everywhere he's gone, and I think he'd be fine in the U.S. It's just a matter of getting him over here, and do you want to pay what it's going to cost to get him back over here? Absolutely. Cut the check today. Um I don't think you're going to find a guy with a better resume and a better fit for the job than Bob Bradley. And the, thing, the other thing that jumps out to me um, that I mentioned in the article was that, you know, one of the things that Darren Eels has mentioned uh, multiple times when talking about the player side is he's looking for players who have that pioneer spirit that want to come in and, and really dig into a job and build something from scratch. Look at the the jobs Bradley's taken since, uh, he was let go from the U.S. national team. He went to Egypt, which was not an easy job. Did he amazing. Could, yeah, and he did an amazing job. He could have left when things got hard you know, with the country itself. This is not just it got hard with the Federation. This is the country was falling apart, and he stayed. This is, um, a, this is a major point to the story that I feel like people gloss over. You what know, you're getting at now. I mean, he could have just said, you know what? This is, this is not what I signed up for. I'm out. And he stayed. He, you know, walked the the streets of Cairo like he was not afraid of anything, and he kept that team together when the domestic league was suspended um, due to violence. And 
almost got them into the World Cup when their domestic league, which most of the players on the Egyptian national team play in, was not playing. So that was one amazing feat. Then he goes to Stabek, and he becomes the first American manager in a European top flight, and he gets them into the Europa League, which was, again, another you know first for Bradley. You know, Stabek was not picked to do anything in Norway, and he gets them into the Europa League. Then he almost takes Le Havre into the Ligue 1 in, in France, which has never been done before by an American manager. The guy's going to take a job that, you know, is not the easy road. And starting a brand new expansion team in MLS is definitely not an easy road. He might be into it. He might be. Um, as far as other guys goes, and um, I mentioned this last night, uh, but getting Sabarisi from the Cosmos. And we talked before about time frame. The time frame of all this has kind of shifted back. And every time we talk about it, it kind of moves back. It's like a really bad Kickstarter campaign. Uh, the release date just kind of keeps getting pushed back and back. Or a Kanye West album. Uh, I thought you were going to go Guns N' Roses, Chinese Democracy, but okay. Uh, no, we don't have years to wait. <laughs> <clears throat> um, but... Safarisi would be another name I'd consider because I think you'd fit that time frame of, oh, we're thinking something in the fall. Well, what about the end of fall when the uh, NASL season ends? That's another guy who I would happily cut the check for right now. I think you could get him for less, and I think he'd be great. Now, granted, I say that saying that if Bob Bradley, if they called up Bob Bradley and a lot of people, and I know you did, have played up the the partnership between Bocanegra and Bradley, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if he says, yeah, I'll do it, cut the check. Yeah, I just don't think you can get a better person than Bradley for this job. Um, I think Giovanni Savarese will will be a very, very good manager in MLS. I don't know if it'll be here. I don't know if it'll be yet. But he will be a a strong manager in, in Major League Soccer. I'm I'm pretty sure of that. There's other guys who've been on, on this list. You know, I, I'd love to know what the actual uh, big board is for Atlanta United managers in their office. Josh Wolf is a name that you know we keep going back to because of his ties to Atlanta. Um, he's an assistant in Columbus. He would probably, out of anybody who is working currently in MLS or NASL, he would be the guy who would be available first because it looks like Columbus is not going to make the playoffs. Uh, the other two that keep coming up are Robin Frazier, who is an assistant with Toronto with Greg Vanny. They had... Uh, roles reversed when they were at Chivas USA, when Frazier was the number one and Vanny was his assistant. And then Dennis Hamlet, who is at the New York Red Bulls as Jesse Marsh's assistant. Those are two guys who have had MLS jobs before and have had to kind of rebuild as assistants now. And they're definitely people to consider. I'm not as high on Frazier as most people. I didn't like, uh, his run at Chivas USA. I don't feel like he got the most out of that squad and things just got weird in the last season. He got worse as his two years went on. And I think he finished on a Owen 13 run or he was winless in his last 13 and just lineups made no sense, which always kind of looks to me as somebody who's just throwing things at the wall, hoping for something to stick. Um, Hamlet, I think, might be a better option of those two. But if, if, if I'm comparing either one of them, I would look at Savarese as, as a better option. 
And Wolf is kind of the unknown because he hasn't been a first team head coach. So you don't really know how he would react to it, uh, which is, you know, it can be a good thing in some ways that he'd bring fresh ideas to it. And he's worked under a couple of different managers now, but he hasn't, you know, been through it as the guy making the decisions, which can be a tough gig as an expansion head coach. Yeah, that's that's always been my kind of catch up with it is with too is um, if he can be that guy to be. Do you want to hand the reins to a first? You know, we've gone over this. Do you want to hand the reins to a first year program to a guy who would be a first time head coach? Now, when we had discussed the idea of a Roberto Martinez, if you brought in a coach like short term to kind of build the program, um, uh, to kind of just build things up in the first place, and then leave after three years or so to lay the groundwork and leave. Then I think a guy like Wolf could fit, come in as an assistant, and kind of be groomed for the spot. Exactly. But not right out of the gate. So I am all for, I am all on the Savarese or Bradley train at this point is basically where I sit. I trust them to get the job done either way. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, exactly. I I mean, everything's been, been solid so far. So I'm not expecting like a, you know, crazy out of left field you know, guy that you're going to end up making a change halfway through the first year that would, you know, not fit with every other decision that's been made so far. Yeah. Well, speaking of things that have been solid, the expansion draft, that's the joke. Um, (laughs) I have nothing. I'm sorry. I have nothing else. Uh, The expansion draft. So that's a thing. It still is a thing. We weren't sure it was going to be a thing, but it is definitely a thing now. Yeah. But I mean, we've been talking for years for what feels like years now of will they, won't they, um, the expansion draft has been a really bad episode of Friends. Um, but the question is, this got addressed on the ATL Soccer Chats, which you can get a part of Wednesday nights. Go do that; it's a lot of fun. Now it's on a, now it's on a face, now it's on a Facebook Live or Periscope, depending on what's more stable. So now, when you ask your questions, you can see Jason visibly wince at some of them. Yeah, when you ask some of the crazy stuff you come up with, <laughs> I kept it tame. I did my job. Um, I, I do appreciate that because I didn't have to throw anything on camera last night. There was not a single Balotelli reference. Yeah, that's all. I, that's always appreciated. By the way, he's at Nice now, so um, that that dream died. He's in France, thankfully. Um, anyway, expansion draft. Uh, we talked about this a bit last night, Jason, about the way it went for Orlando, especially. And you've got a guy from Atlanta, from Orlando, excuse me, who has already gone through this. What are you expecting with the expansion draft with Atlanta United? Um, I, what I want to see first is if they change the format at all, because the rumors hit you know late last year about uh, the league possibly scrapping the the whole expansion draft idea and just giving more allocation money or international slots or whatever. Be fine with so, that. Yeah, I, I'm, so I'm wondering now if you know they thought about that, they decided, okay, no, we're going to do an expansion draft. I wonder if they'll change the format because it's been pretty consistent the last few times. So uh, you, 10 picks, and you're doing it right after MLS Cup, a few days after the, the final game of the season. Uh, teams can protect 11 players. Or this is what happened in the past. It could change, you know, full disclosure right there. Uh Teams could protect 11 players. They did not have to protect homegrown players because they or Generation Adidas because they were fully exempt from being drafted. So Atlanta or Minnesota cannot draft uh, one of Dallas's homegrown players. So Dallas doesn't have to protect them. Um, 
the only other, I think, stipulation on protected players was clubs had to protect a player who had a no-trade clause, and mostly that's going to be a designated player. So um, if that's in somebody's contract, you you have to protect them. You don't you don't have an option. Beyond that, um, you know, it gets interesting to see who gets protected because sometimes you see teams, you know, kind of dangle a player out there that is an important player, but maybe on a little bit higher salary than they would like. So they're kind of seeing if, if the expansion teams will take the bait. Um, you see lots of, you know, players who are on the bench. You see lots of players who were drafted, but maybe haven't played. Um, the last expansion draft, I think New York city probably got more out of it. Orlando really took some, some big risks in it. And then, tried to make some deals and things just did not fall for Orlando in that last expansion draft. The best thing they got out of it was trading for Aurelian Collin, um, who ended up being a solid center back for them last year before they traded him to the Red Bulls this year. New York got a lot of players who played a lot of minutes um, and they got a couple of players who knew Jason Christ and knew the system. So they were a really good fit. Um, they got Tommy McNamara, the 16th pick, which still blows my mind that that happened. And they drafted and then didn't really use Patrick Mullins, who we're seeing lighted up in D.C. right now. So there is talent to be had, but it's it might not be easy to pick it out of the abyss with this thing. And that's the question that I guess I have is after seeing the way Orlando's went went about and it was kind of like watching somebody uh it's kind of like watching somebody pan for gold there were moments where hey that's that's interesting that it worked then you had some depth and then you just had nothing maybe fodder for trade i mean i honestly i don't know what to expect there's guys i mean and the guy we've beat the drum for is Zach McMath if you could get him it'd be great um the guy i thought about and I don't know that he would be available um, just because the team is just the team has a misery like gl- uh, grasp on him right now that I think they would break his legs rather than let him go is if we didn't have Kenwin Jones is uh, Fernando Adi. Yeah, it never happened. I know they, they'll break his legs before they let him leave Portland, even with, even though yeah. he wants to leave. Uh, plus, I think he would he wants to go overseas. So it would be a waste yeah. of pick anyway. I think um, that's what it comes down to. That'd be an interesting get, and especially for somebody like Minnesota, if they didn't have uh, Christian Ramirez. But I digress. Right. Uh, maybe getting goalkeeper, maybe getting depth, that kind of thing. I don't really know what I expect to see them do because I don't know exactly where we're going to be at that point with coaches. Um, whether or not there's, you know, maybe another international signing or something. Um, Somebody picked up who's out of contract, that sort of thing. And this whole list of who we expect might change by the time it gets here anyway, depending on performances, uh, injuries, you know, what, whatever, whatever may be. So what I'm hoping for is a couple starters and, uh, you know, depth. You know, maybe do you take some risks on some young guys and maybe th- see if they can uh, hack it? Maybe use the uh, USL affiliate and get guys playing time and see if they can mold themselves. If they, if they can't break the starting lineup here, I mean, how much do you invest in this? How how much do you put into it? So, you know, looking at it now without, you know, knowing what the the protected lists are going to be at this point, I think you want to get 
two or three starters out of this, I think is what you're kind of shooting for. And then beyond that, you're looking for some, either some trade bait or some players who can develop into something. And I think you'll have a little bit of all of that available at this point, because, you know, when you start running through the rosters and you start looking at players who could be available, there's some players on the high end, um, designated players who could be available in this draft. The one I keep coming back to is Gonzalo Verone with the New York Red Bulls, who is, has not performed well with them. Um, he, Do you think he could be a change of scenery kind of guy? Could be. Absolutely could be because, you know, he came in with a, a ton of hype. Um, he, he's you know done it overseas. He just hasn't done it with the Red Bulls. He might not be a fit for that that high pressing, you know, high energy style that, that Jesse Marsh wants to play in New York. So maybe that change of scenery would work for him. Another one is Cubo Torres in Houston, who, you know, you came into the league with Chivas USA and was amazing and has just not done anything in Houston. You know, these are two players and they're, they're designated players, but they could, I'm just about positive be bought down with Tam because if you look at their salaries, they're you know right around five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars a year. So with all the extra allocation money Atlanta United will have, they might be able to to pick one of these guys who's a designated player elsewhere and actually buy them down to where they're not a designated player here. Um, so you go through that. There's players of that ilk. Um, there will definitely be starting level goalkeepers available. Uh, you've just seen some teams make moves that will. We'll free guys up. Zach McMath is the one I keep going back to. Uh, Chicago is going to have to make a decision between Sean Johnson and Lampson, and which which whichever one they decide is not going to be the guy, they're going to expose them in the draft. Um, New England will have a goalkeeper or two exposed in the draft. There's going to be guys out there who can step in and be a starter for you day one at goalkeeper. So I think that's one thing I'm looking for is let's get a starting goalkeeper out of this expansion draft. There's other players. Um, Jose Villarreal is one in L.A. that that Rob uh, at Dirty South is always pointing to. Same here. I think he's a a great talent who just has not been given a proper run out with the Galaxy. Harry Ship is one in Montreal who has not really fit very well there, and he might be available. If he's available, I'm taking him in a heartbeat and making him my number 10. Um, You know, there's Mix Discarude, who's one that we've had a lot of conversations about. I just, don't break don't break the podcast. I know I'm trying not to. Uh, I just don't think I would take the risk. I think there's going to be better options. Do you but, think a guy like uh, sorry to cut you off? Um, no, do you think ahead. a guy like Jack Gleason will be there? No, uh, Gleason from Portland? I don't think so. I think they've really settled on him as their their uh, guy moving I was forward. Hoping they would, I was hoping they would make a bad decision, but yeah, I think when um, Quarase got hurt. And Gleason kind of stepped in and, and showed enough to them to then allow Quarse to, to leave. I think they yeah. really settled on him as, as their guy. Um, I think either McMath or whoever the uh, loser is in the battle in Chicago would be a solid fit. To be um, fair, everybody in Chicago has lost this year. Well, this is true. Chicago mm-hmm. is still the biggest dumpster fire in MLS. And, uh, you know, we had that. That it wasn't even on our agenda today, but the the conversation about Bastian Schweinsteiger and Andres Guardado, and it comes out, you know, out of a reporter in Chicago that the Fire have the discovery rights on both of those guys. 
And, you know, I said it, it might be a challenge for Atlanta to get Guardado because Chicago is going to have to do something this offseason. And, you know, the general reaction from, from most people is that, well, Chicago has never done anything, so why would they sign somebody now? Because they are the biggest dumpster fire, and something has to be done to fix this this franchise. Because if they don't, if they punt again on making a big move this offseason, um, I just don't think they recover. You know, you're you're out in the suburb, you're already not drawing well. You basically have the fans in open revolt at this point against the ownership. You have Peter Wilt talking about starting an NASL team in the city and trying to find investment and all that. Chicago has to do something here. Yeah. I just um, I, I don't know if it's signing Guardado. Um, he would be the one that makes all the sense in the world for the fire, and they should do whatever it takes to pay him. I could also see a situation where they're like, oh, the other teams want Guardado. Okay, give us more allocation money because we don't have enough of that, and then we'll just sign Schweinsteiger instead. And he would be the the wrong fit if you're choosing between the two. You sign Guardado in Chicago. That's what you do. It's not hard. They, they could sign both. They could sign Guardado for his functionality and sign Schweinsteiger for his name. See, it, I mean, but in Chicago, Guardado is going to be the bigger name. I mean, you saw it with, with Blanco in the past. I mean, Chicago with a top Mexican player will, you know, they'll, they'll get the fan base excited again. And especially a player like Guardado. So I think it's not a foregone conclusion that Guardado would say, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to Atlanta instead of Chicago. Chicago is going to be so desperate that they're going to have to do something. I don't think they sit on their hands this transfer window in January. I think they go make a big move. And it, it should be Guardado. If they have the discovery rights, they should pay whatever it takes to get him. Um, this is still Chicago, so that's not a definite. No. Uh, they should do it. Well, then I'm going to have to slam my fist on the table and get another creative midfielder then from somewhere. So, hey, Harry Ship. If Harry Ship's in the expansion draft, then that, that and that's the thing. You got to remember the expansion draft is going to be before the transfer window opens. So you're going to have a much better idea of what holes are there going into the January transfer window. And if I can get Gonzalo Verón or Harry Ship or Jose Villarreal maybe I'm not going to break the bank on Guardado and maybe I shift my spending into another position. That could definitely happen. And I mean, ship fits what I would like to see is like, I'd like to see him keep signing players who are uh, not over the hill and not even really approaching the hill. The hill isn't in sight yet. Ship is young enough that I'd be happy with that. There's a ton of guys in MLS who I think will be available in the expansion draft that fit that type of profile. And that's what I want is that even when we talked about this team in the first place, before we really saw a skeleton come together where you got a target forward and you got a fast winger and you got somebody who can draw cards, which apparently Chris McCann is getting very good at. Uh, <laughs> I like it. Hey, hey, enforcer. I'll take I'll take I, Everybody needs a Zidane Chara. But my biggest fear was always, oh, God, we're going to get three DPs who are in like their mid-30s. So we're going to do like New York City, but less effective. And that was my biggest fear is that, you know, it was going to be built around, uh, you know, three big names who are over the hill who can't contribute consistently. And then whatever the hell, whatever the hell else we can kind of scrap together. I mean, and it's not to say that I didn't have faith in the guys up top making the decisions. 
this is way back before we even saw a skeleton of what we were going to be looking at. So I still kind of have that in my mind where you don't want a team. I know you don't want a team, a bunch of kids in their early 20s. It's just, this isn't a video game. It doesn't work that way. But a young playmaker in the middle of the field, yeah, okay, do it. But what makes it a lot easier to to go in that direction and, and go younger is that you already have 22,000 season ticket holders. You're yes. not having to sign a Frank Lampard, a Steven Gerrard, a player of that ilk for name recognition. You, you've got you know, butts in the seats. You, you have guaranteed fan base already. So you can go and sign a Vishalva. You can go and sign a McCann, a Kenwin Jones, who are not going to sell you know, millions of jerseys around the world, but are going to be very good players in this league. You don't have to sign a guy just for name. And that's, that's a huge advantage that Atlanta United has with the fan base going into this because they can look at this expansion draft and not have to go get, you know, if there's a name in it, if they're, you know, it, Sean Johnson. If you decide that Sean Johnson is, is not your guy and you don't like, you know, some aspect of his game, probably the biggest issue would be his play with his feet is not strong. And that's something that has kept him in a rotation in Chicago this year with Velko Panovic. Then you can go in another direction. You don't have to sign Sean Johnson because he's the local guy. You just, you have more flexibility. You can build a team that will be successful as opposed to a team that has to get attention. And this feels like it needs to be a reminder. Um, If they don't sign him, if they don't bring in Wolf, if they don't bring in the local guy, well, Look at the academy. You already have You're the have local, local and you already have the local guy. The local guy that is lighting up U17 teams. The local guy who you probably <laughs> all right, you should have had to fight harder to get. No, I mean, but that's the thing about the the academy and that's that was the you know, probably one of the best moves when we get a few years into this and we start to look back at at this time frame. One of the best moves that Atlanta United will ever make is the partnership with Georgia United and the opportunity to sign Andrew Carlton and possibly others to homegrown contracts this early. It's, it's hope, massive. I hope it becomes a great 30 for 30 later on. Um, <laughs> and not to get ahead of ourselves, but there's also, and we'll touch on this briefly before we move on, but there's also the, uh, there's also the draft. Like you have, you know, the first year draft. Yep. The, the super draft and, in January, mid-January. I'm not saying you're going to find a Kyle Lahren. Not that you need a, you know, you don't need a target forward. I'm not saying you're going to find that, but you're going to have one of the top two picks in the draft. And there's plenty of talent that you can choose from. Maybe not guys who plug in immediately and who are like MVP caliber guys, but who knows what you'll find in that for in one of those first two picks. There's going to be talent, and when you start to dig into this and you look at, you know, what the last, what, the last few drafts, what the top end, because you're going to have number one or number two, you know, you look at the look at last year. You know, these are guys who are contributing right now. Jack Harrison was your number one pick. I, I'd love to have Jack Harrison on this team. You had Josh Yarrow, uh, center back for the future, and he's playing a fair bit now for Philadelphia. Keegan Rosenberry was number three, and in most years, Keegan Rosenberry would be your rookie of the year. Yeah. Um, there, it's 
the talent's there. And you go back, it's been the same in previous years. Now, is the overall depth of the Super Draft as strong as it used to be? No, it's not. But the top end of it, it's it's there. There's talent there to be had. Kyle Laren is a guy that helped Orlando immensely in year one. Um, Kyrie Shelton was the pick for New York City in year one, who has been okay. Kyrie Shelton hasn't been bad. He hasn't been Kyle Laren. There's there's going to be talent. And when you start to go back and you look at over the last five years of teams who have won a trophy or, you know, been supporter shield or won an open cup, and you start to dig into how they acquired players, there's more players than you think that were drafted by that team. There's generally out of the, the top, you know, 15, 16 guys in minutes at least three or four on every team that they got in the draft. And you have to get the draft right. You can really give yourself more options if you draft well. And if you draft well and you have an academy that produces talent, you just have more outs. You know, you, you don't have to go sign guys out of desperation. You don't have to go sign random players because an agent brings them to you because you got to have a right back. It you just, if you do it right and you build the whole club up and you build your scouting network up, you have a much greater chance to be successful. And I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. Um, but as far as guys in the draft, uh, I had to look him up. Uh, the kid from Duke, Jeremy, uh, forgive me if I butcher this Ebo BC. Yes. Uh, yeah, I did it right. That's a gold star for me. He's already uh, working with Charleston Battery. That's a guy who could be available for you at the top. I know he's a forward. I don't know how much experience he would have, say, on the wing or with a partnership if you played like a 4-4-2. Um, but if you would like to guess, Jason, I don't know if you know this. Um, would you like to guess where he had a trial run at recently? Where did he have a trial run recently? A certain French second league team. Oh, really? Yes. I did not know this. <laughs> Neither did I until I looked it up. But he had a run in, uh, yeah, he um, he had a uh, he had a several trials, including with Bob Bradley in the French second tier. And uh, yeah, so I mean, I'm just I'm just connecting Done dots deal. that may not. Done deal. Bob Bradley's our manager, and that's going to be our, our college pick. So we're, we're good. We're good to go. Go ahead and uh, buy the jersey now. <laughs> we have solved the problem. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to tell people. I can't wait to like post an article and just have the have the really misleading lead that's like Atlanta dra- Atlanta uses top pick on do- on Duke superstar just to see what happens. Um. Anyway, one, one thing to keep in mind, I think, with the the college thing, um, you look at where you know, the last few drafts have gone, and you had Kyle Aaron and you've had Jack Harrison. I think probably the more likely guys who are MLS ready day one uh, are goalkeepers, defenders. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, You know, the college season has just started. Uh, The kind of draft board mock drafts really haven't gotten underway yet. They will as we get, you know, a month or two in here. Keep an eye on some of those, you know, senior defenders coming out who are 22, 23, who have had some time maybe with some U.S. youth national teams. Uh, those are going to be some guys to look at. There's always guys that this happens to where 
they don't get a homegrown contract and they don't want to go back to that team or, or the team doesn't offer them a good homegrown contract. So they go into the draft. So some of those players who have been in a professional academy but don't sign a homegrown deal there for whatever reason, those can be some good targets because I think they adjust maybe a little quicker. So, and then the, the wild card option of it is some of these guys like Atesho Akindele, who, you know, was at a small school, Colorado School of Mines, which is still the greatest program of all time. Um, <laughs> I mean, I want that jersey. I want a Colorado School of Mines jersey. I hope I get to practice in a mine. Yes. Um, so there's got, I mean, there's players out there and there's players of all different backgrounds, styles, everything. There is talent in the college game. And if Atlanta United gets the draft right and can pick up one, two, if they can get a third guy who contributes, that will help them immensely in year one. Yeah. And um, speaking of guys playing for U.S. national teams, uh, the academy starts Saturday, and uh, the U.S. We had a bunch of guys from the academy, and we went over this a bit last week. But they were playing with the U.S. Uh, the U. Seventeen team that played against Mexico, and uh, Mexico still has bragging rights on that. So that's uh, slightly, yeah, just slightly. Um, but yeah, so academy starts this weekend. Uh, if you're not aware, don't drive downtown in Atlanta this weekend. There's a lot going on. And uh, one of the things that hasn't gotten as much play is uh, there's going to be a lot of soccer. <laughs> there's going to be a lot of soccer and a lot of good soccer. Uh, if you got nothing else to do, which if you're in Atlanta, I doubt that because there's plenty to do. But if you got nothing else to do or if you haven't made the plans yet, go check out the games. Yeah, the Publix Atlanta Cup is this weekend, which is a huge Labor Day weekend tournament. Um, games all over the city at all the different major parks. So. Check out some of that. Uh, Atlanta United's Academy gets underway Saturday with the U-12s. Uh, they're the first teams to play, and they're playing at Kennesaw State's Marietta campus, the former Southern Poly campus. It is a lie. <laughs> Get used to it. Learn, learn to love it. No. <laughs> so I'm I'm actually excited about this. Not not so much to you know look at you know, who the, the 10 and 11 year old talent is, but more of how they're, they've been trained to play and kind of how the, just, just the vibe around it, because, you know, this is very different. We have not had in Atlanta, a, a youth club that is geared towards producing professional players. And it's a different mindset. It's different to produce guys for the pro game than to produce guys for the college game or just to produce, you know, teams that win tournaments it's it's a whole different mindset so it's going to be interesting to interesting to see how atlanta united goes about it and how the team looks not from a you know again from an individual talent perspective but how they look and how they're being taught so it's it's an exciting thing you know and you start going through these rosters you see a lot of players from a lot of different clubs, um, a lot of different backgrounds, and actually a little bit wider net than just the metro area. So it's it's a cool thing, and I'm excited to see you know how things go. The the U18s and the U16s are the ones who are you know much closer to a pro deal. They'll have their first home games uh, later in the month, uh, the 20 weekend of the 24th, I believe, over at Pace Academy. 
So definitely, you know, mark these on your calendar. You can go to Atlanta United's website and and dig into the academy pages and, and get to know, you know, who's on the rosters and when the games are. And definitely check them out. It'll be a good kind of, you know, primer for Atlanta United getting started. This is the first time that an MLS expansion team has done this in this way. You know, that you're having a full academy with five teams launch before the first team ever plays. And a big shout out as well. Um, I'm trying to find who did it, but we had this question about Pace Academy, and uh, I'll find it eventually. Um, but we had some. We had a. We had a really great shout out who uh, who explained who pointed out to us that, that the facility over at Pace is amazing. I haven't been over there myself, which is really lazy of me because I'm like ten minutes away. Um, but once we got word, uh, I think it was. Yeah, it was Lewis Martin. So thank you very much, very much, Lewis. As I smash my headset, um, that it's a that it's a great setup over there. So it'll be a great place to go watch as you know as you start looking to uh, as you start looking to watch the bigger programs play. Yeah, or the, I, I should say bigger programs, the older kids play, and even the younger kids. Yeah, I mean it's it's just it's important and. This is, you know, truly unique when you start looking at, at pro sports. You know, if you're a Braves fan, you probably keep up with what's going on in the minor leagues. At least lately, you definitely keep up with what's going on in the minor leagues because it's more interesting. Um, you know, the Falcons, you don't have minor leagues, but you're keeping up with mock drafts and you're keeping up with the college game and who might be drafted. Um, the NBA, kind of same thing. This is different where, you know, you're going to have the opportunity to sign these kids who are in your academy before anybody else can. You know, we talked about it with the Super Draft where players who aren't signed to an academy go into the Super Draft. But you have first crack at these kids and you see it with Andrew Carlton. You're probably going to see it with at least another player who's in the academy now. I think Chris Goslin is a a prime candidate for that. And I think there are others who, who could step into that. Um, you're, you're going to see players from the Metro Atlanta area who are in the Academy sign and play for this first team. And that's a huge deal. Now, let me ask you something um, concerning all of this. Um, is there a fear to you about letting kids get away in the sense that you don't, let's say you, you know, you miss on a kid. You don't sign him to that homegrown contract, and he goes somewhere else and makes an amazing impact. And then you overreact by, do you do you do you run the risk of saturating the academy by trying to sign everybody with a pulse who might turn into something? No, no. I mean, you're going to miss on some. You're going to miss on some guys who that's the you know, are, are late bloomers. You're going to miss on guys who just didn't fit. I mean, you know, as, as hard as you try to, you know train these teams and have them play, you know, where you're developing and you're not trying to win games, you're going to have a system and you might have a player who is a great fit for a three man backline as a center back who just does not fit in the four man backline. They're going to play here. Something like that. It'll happen. Um, the biggest thing I'm, I'm down with the three man backline. I like That's the three five two. Give me, give me a three and give me two wing backs who can, who can drop back at 92. I'm in. So, you're going to have some situations like that, but you're also going to have, or what you have to set up, I think, to really make it truly effective is, you know, you have to have a mentality like Dallas does, where they're going to play the kids and they're not afraid to play the kids. Because then if you don't, you know, you're going to run into a situation that you see in some other MLS, you know, markets where 
why do you want to sign a homegrown deal if you're not going to get an opportunity to play? You know, it's it's kind of pointless to, you know, a guy that I look at a lot in this regard is Colin Martin. He's at DC United. Colin Martin's, you know, attacking midfielder um, has shown pretty well in the limited opportunities he's gotten. And they've been extremely limited. And he's he spent a good bit of time in the USL and he's been there for two, three years now. You know, I wonder if he regrets that decision. And I wonder if that's maybe a reason you're not seeing a whole lot of homegrown players out at DC United. Um, you just had one of uh, Andrew Carlton and, and Zion Jones and Charlie Asensio and Chris Goslin's teammates from this U17 team. Uh, Durkin, Chris Durkin, signed to DC United. And we'll see if it's a different experience with him. But you know, you don't want to be in a situation, you know, as a as a homegrown player where you're not going to get a chance to play. Yeah. And they have to notice that. And I think as you mentioned, that's a big thing going forward is we gotta make sure that I think this is something they're considering with the coach, is you wanna bring in somebody who's gonna look at those kids. If you're putting this emphasis on the academy, you wanna have a coach who's gonna play these kids so you're not building this amazing academy just to let it go rust or just to look to loan guys out overseas or this, that and the other. So Exactly. You're not signing these guys. You know, you have to, you're not signing them just to sign them. And you have to really be willing to look at them as players and say, you know, this 17 year old kid, you know, maybe he's not ready to start 90 minutes, but I'm going to have him in my 18 and I'm going to pick opportunities for him to play to build up his confidence. So in a month, two months, three months, second half of the season, he's going to be available as a 90 minute player. You have to look at the long-term picture that way. And, you know, everything so far has pointed in that direction. So I'm I'm hopeful for that. I would just hate to see a situation where you bring in a manager who is afraid to play young players. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of uh, as we move on, because Jason's gotten really good at the segue thing, whether he realizes it or not. So props, Jason. Uh, speaking of being afraid to play young players, hey, U.S. national team picked their team. And all you need to know is that we took a midfielder who was hurt and he got more hurt and we sent him home. <sighs> and that sigh is the answer right there. That sigh is the answer to our problems. Um, anyway, yeah. So Jermaine Jones was chosen for the team is who we're talking about. Jermaine Jones was already hurt. Jermaine Jones got hurt-er. Jermaine Jones has gone home to Colorado. I don't think he got more hurt. I think he was just too hurt to actually do anything. So they wasted plane tickets. Which they wasted plane tickets and they wasted a spot they could have given to a younger guy. And they wasted time with rehab in Colorado for him. It just, it made no sense. I, I don't get it. Perry I mean, Kitchen is sitting over in hearts, just doing nothing. Actually doing a lot. That's well, well, I know, but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's the international break. So he's just sitting there twiddling his thumbs. He could have been over here like, you know, trying to go to the Hex instead of trying to finish about fourth in the Scottish Premier League. So you, you bring in Jermaine Jones, who hasn't played in over a month and I don't think has even been training with the Rapids. I mean, do you think they're lying? I, I, I don't I don't know why you bring him in. To, you have to check for yourself. And you don't bring in Perry Kitchen, who was part of your Copa America Centenario team. And is is doing very well at Hearts. You don't bring in Lyndon Gooch, who's playing in the Premier League with Sunderland. Who's you don't playing? bring in either yeah. one of those guys. 
You, know, you talk about you talk about guys going over to Europe and getting better there. That's where they need to go to get better. Then use them. Also, you brought in Wondolowski. I can't let that go. Well, it, it, okay. Here's here's the other thing about the holding midfielder thing. You know, if if you brought in, if I had faith that you brought in Kellen Acosta to play holding midfield where he plays his best soccer, okay. But no, you brought him in more than likely as backup at left back because he played there with the U23s with Andy Herzog, and again playing out of position is a favorite of this management style, and. So you bring Kellen Acosta, who should be one of your holding midfielder mix. No, you don't bring in Jorge Villafaña, who for some reason can't get a call up, even though he's doing well in Mexico. You don't even bring in, you don't want to bring in a young guy. Okay, fine. Jonathan Bornstein. And people are probably going to say like, oh, why are you talking about Bornstein? Bornstein, I can't stand Bornstein. Bornstein has been playing very well with Carretero in Mexico. He's a veteran. He could slot right in as a left back. He gives you the option of playing Johnson in midfield. He gives you flexibility. He, believe it or not, actually plays left back. It's shocking to play a player in the position that they play with their club. I don't know why that's such a hard thing to grasp. Well, to be fair, are arguably one of the better wingers in the Bundesliga is playing left back for the U.S. national team. So there's that. Yeah, because you're not calling in a left back. And there's two of them playing in Mexico right now. Two. <laughs> so you have one of the best wingers in one of the top three leagues in the world. <laughs> you have him playing left back. Yeah. And not playing one of your left backs who's playing well in Mexico or one of the multitude of left backs who plays in MLS. I mean, I don't think MLS has a rule you can't play a left back. Play a guy who plays the position. It's Kill not hard. Kill me now. It's just, I don't know why we make it so difficult. Oh, man. I don't know either. That's, um, but anyway, so now, do you feel better? <sighs> yeah, I guess. Okay. Um, we're playing, there, there's goalkeeper by committee, by the way. Oh, I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> I hate goalkeeper <laughs> by committee. And you I, didn't I did. even you didn't even bring the best shot stopper in the program. You brought the second best, and he's uh, starting game one. No, you didn't bring the first or the second best because those would be Bill Hamid and Nick Romando. Okay, that's very, that's very fair. I'm very sorry to Nick Romando. Yes, do not do not besmirch Nick Romando. I have not nothing but love for Nick Romando. <laughs> Nick Romando will always go down to me as one of the like most unsung on the national scale. Uh, if if it weren't for the fact that we just produce if we if the US produces goalkeepers the same way the US military produced Sherman tanks in 1945 <clears throat> wow there's a lot of wow. what a comparison <laughs> it's it, but it's kind of a hybrid though it's like they produce Sherman tanks that are the quality of a German Panzer tank we produce really good goalkeepers and we produce a lot of them so try the young ones the women are running into this right now, which is a whole separate topic and a whole nother discussion that we don't need to get into right now because I don't really need that much hate mail in my life. But yeah, take take a better shot blocker than, you know, than Guzan or, you know, Tim Howard. But um, yeah, I'm just tired of this thing where Klinsman keeps saying like, oh, well, the young guys have to push the older guys out. Okay, that's fine to say but you're not actually giving them opportunities to push people out. And when the young guys are performing at the club level, which is where they play most of their soccer, it's not with the national team. 
you're not rewarding them for doing that. So, you know, you're, you're going to the situation where now instead at goalkeeper, you have other options. And especially I, I, I halfway get it with these two games because they're critical. I want to see what he does in October. If he rotates Guzan and Howard in October in two friendlies, I might break something because that's where you play Horvath. That's where you play Hamid. That's where you play David Bingham from San Jose. That's where you're going to play somebody to see how they, they handle the situation. You gave Hamid one game in Ireland where his defense in front of him fell apart. And now you don't want to see him again. He's had some injuries. Sure. He's working his way back, but I have no reason to believe that you're going to give him another shot and you're just writing him off just like you've done with so many different players. And you're wasting the opportunity to look at him again, because I think Bill Hamid could be the best U S goalkeeper of all time. If he continues his development, but he has to, he has to have the opportunity to develop. Yep. This is okay. This isn't like, for instance, um, I always wondered if, and this may come out of left field. I always wondered if Zach Whitebread could have been a good player for the national team at some point, had he not been injured and had he been, you know, had he broken camp with the team, I think he's 31, 32 now, so that time's probably done. Yeah. But he's a good size center back. Had experience in Europe. Like I always wonder, like, maybe he could have. Don't 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 make him into a don't make him into the next Zach Whitebread where I wonder if he could have been. Please. The the thing is with with some of these players, you know, they just need an opportunity. And you see it at the club level, and we talked about it with playing young players. You know, the the margin between some of the players for, for talent is not that wide. You know, the, the margin between the last guy in your roster and the best guy is not that far. Sometimes it's just opportunity. And you've got to give, you've got to find opportunities for guys to show you what they can do in pressure situations when it matters. And, you know, we can we can keep going on this one with the national team, but... I just don't see any of it changing until, you know, Klinsman is not in that role. Um, I think Klinsman is going to do what he's done. You know, he has no real pressure on him to, to do much because he's pretty secure in his job. So he is what he is at this point. What worries me a little bit is that this is the, you know, this is his second qualifying campaign. We're in the situation again, where the semifinal round, you know, is a little bit, bit of a concern um you know we had the bad it it could be it it shouldn't be it could be um you know you get into a situation where you don't control your destiny right now and that's that's never a good spot to be in um if things go as they should on paper then the u.s will be through after friday's games because the u.s should win in saint vincent no problem Trinidad should beat Guatemala at home. If that happens, we're through. Trinidad's through. The game Tuesday means nothing. Everyone stay safe. Everyone stay safe. And then, you know, you could actually play some kids if you wanted to, but that won't happen. So if it doesn't, though, if, say, Guatemala gets a point in Trinidad, which is is possible, then the U.S. is going to have to get a result against Trinidad. And you don't want to be in that situation going into your last game of the semifinal round where you could miss out on the World Cup in 2018. If I'm sorry, if <clears throat> if we don't get points tomorrow night 
or tonight, if you're listening to this on Friday, um, if we don't get points. Oh, if we don't get points in St. Vincent, we we shouldn't even say anything. I no, mean, if we don't get points in St. Vincent, Quinsman uh, should just book a plane on Lufthansa back home. No, they should they should lane Kiffin him. <laughs> just leave him there? <laughs> yes. <laughs> just if if they there. lose in St. Vincent, yes, he should get lane kiffin <laughs> Just leave him there, book him a flight, like, let him book a flight back to Germany, because if they drop points... And if they don't, if they don't get anything out of St. Vincent, and a lot of this, by the way, could depend on what he shows tomorrow night, what the starting eleven looks like. We don't know what that's going to look like. It could, it could get really weird tomorrow night. Yeah, it, it could, it, and it's it's tricky because you know you you are missing some guys, and this is you know nothing <clears throat> on on Klinsman's end. You know, Bradley suspended. No, so you're missing your captain. Dempsey's injured. Um, Brooks is injured. Jones is injured. So you're you're going to have to to piece some things together. This is where actually develop should win out. It should. And it's, it's also where, you know, developing talent and putting guys in these situations, you know, this is why you do these things. So you get to this game and you're not scrambling. I don't think you will be, you know, you look at the lineup that, that could be on the field. If I'm predicting it, you know, based off where I, what I think it would actually happen, I think the back line is is Johnson and Yedlin and outside back. Cameron is one of the center backs. Um, it's either going to be Beasley or Omar Gonzalez. I think it should be Omar just because he's playing well in Mexico and Beasley has been out of the lineup for the most part in Kansas City. So play Gonzalez, who's in rhythm. Uh, the midfield, I think, will have a combination of Beckerman, Bedoya, and Zusi. The, the fourth spot or the fifth spot, depending on how you line up, could be up for grabs a bit. Uh, you'll have Altidore up top. I think Bobby Wood will probably be thrown out to the wing, um, which is not my favorite thing I'd here. Like, I mean, I, I would do it differently. I would like to see them up top together. That's where I would go. I would play a 4-4-2 um, yeah. with the two of them together. And that that's risky, too, because their their skill sets are somewhat similar. I think Wood can adjust and make more runs off the ball. I think Altidore, the way he's playing right now, is that number nine is, is what you want. Um, I think in in my predicted lineup, I, I'm probably leaning towards Nagby getting the call as opposed to Pulisic. Um, I would probably, I'd personally rather see Pulisic. Um, you can see they, Pulisic off the bench. There's always yeah, it, it just depends on the way they line it up. Um, I think they'll probably go four two three one just based off the players that they have available. I'd probably go more of a four four two, um, or a four one three two. I, I don't know. It's oh, you're it's getting a, cute now. Well, I mean, it's it's mentality. I mean, four four two four one three two are the same thing. It's just I, how you you know, know structure it. Beckerman would be Still. the sitting in that for sure. You could run a four four two diamond out there. I mean, you could. I mean, there's there's a ton of ways to play it. Um. I, the big things to me, what I would like to see is I would like to see Sasha Kleschen start as the number 10. I think if you play the two forwards, if you play Wood and Altidore up top, I think having Kleschen behind them creating things is the way to go. And he's playing well. Reward that. Play him. Um, I would probably play three central midfielders behind Kleschen, which would be Bedoya, Beckerman, and Zusi. And I'd play it like a diamond with Bedoya and Zusi as the, the two who can flare out wide when needed to defend 
And then you you just have Kleshin creating for Wood and Altador, and you have options to play through Kleshin. You have options also to skip the midfield and play direct to your to your two big forwards. Yeah. Well, um, so what are you thinking tomorrow? Get points? Yeah, I mean, it's it's got to be a win. Um, if if it's if it's anything less than a win, uh, there's massive problems with with this program, and and we deserve to have our hearts broken by Kenwin Jones. Yes, if you can't win in St. Vincent against the number 123, 126, somewhere in that ranking, um, if you can't win there in this game, you you don't deserve to go to the World Cup. And my caution for the people who are saying, oh, it's obvious they're going to win, it's not a problem, nothing to worry about. Remember Antigua and Barbuda in the last qualifying round we got we were in the situation in the semifinal round going into the 2014 world cup qualifying it took a late goal to win um i don't want that heartburn tomorrow i want a four five nothing win simple easy take care of business we've struggled to do that in some of these types of games where we've had to so i'm not as convinced that it's going to be smooth sailing tomorrow as as some but it, it has to be a win. There's just no excuse for it not being. I don't disagree. So I'll take a win. I'll be happy. Because if we don't, then you run the risk of like an 88th minute header from Kenwin Jones knocking you out of the World Cup. And as you said yesterday, we don't need any more reasons for everyone to hate Atlanta United. This is true. And that would be one. Um, on to domestic. And... Uh, Nigel and the MLS had a thing, Jason. Oh, boy. So, uh, go ahead. Get it out. Um, well, I hope you saw it because it's been taken down, but MLS posted a video. There's always a mirror. You can't stop the signal, Mal. Exactly. Um, posting, you know, DeJong's departure from the league heading to Turkey. And it just opened up cans of worms everywhere, all kinds of different cans of worms because, you know, one slamming a player on his way out is a bad look. No matter if you're a league, no matter if you're a team, no matter if you're a coach, whatever, it just, it never comes off well. Um, And especially in this case, like the way he was slammed, you know, he was slammed for not scoring goals or not having assists. That's not why he was brought to that team. He was not signed by the LA galaxy to score goals. He was signed by the LA Galaxy to intimidate, to win balls in the midfield, and to get them to people who can play. And for the most part, he did that. So, you know, did he intimidate other teams coming through the middle? I think he did. So to say that, you know, he was an absolute failure and and messed up the Galaxy and all this stuff, I think is ludicrous. And it's it's ludicrous for the league to put that out there, you know. Jason Davis had a, a great point today about if another outlet had put that out there, say, you know, goal.com or, you know, and, and one of the espionation blogs had said this, it would have got a reaction, but it, it would have went away fast. The fact that the league said this is the problem. You know, it's not necessarily what was said. It's more of the league saying it because it's a bad look for the league to do it. It, then you open up the other side of the league covering itself, which you can't cover it, you know, effectively because you have to think of those things. You know, the league as a mouthpiece 
can't put this out there because it could affect other players coming to this league. I don't think it will. I think it'll blow over quick, but it could. And the league can't think as journalists in this situation covering it this way. They have to think as, you know, league employees. And it just opened up this huge can of worms that, you know, didn't need to be there. You know, Nigel DeJong's going to Turkey. You know, it makes a lot of sense when you actually get into the the nuts and bolts of it. L.A. was about to be on the hook for the three-plus-million-dollar-a-year contract for DeJong for 2017 and 2018 if he played, I think, five more games. He would have triggered that contract. He would have been a designated player next year. That would have given the Galaxy less you know, flexibility in rebuilding their roster. It makes a ton of sense when Galatasaray comes in and you know says, we're going to pay him $2.8 million a year as opposed to the 500000 he's making now. Let him go. Yeah, It gives you more flexibility. The only thing I don't like about it from the Galaxy perspective is, and I'd love to know the reasoning behind it because it's happened more than once this year, why did they terminate his contract and not get a transfer fee? That's, that's the issue to me that hasn't really been talked about enough is why is MLS accepting that move and saying, okay, sure, you don't have to pay us a transfer fee. We'll just terminate his contract and he can go. It happened with uh, Gaston Saro from Columbus, who went to Argentina. Um, it happened with Gilberto, who left uh, Chicago Fire and signed to Sao Paulo, I believe. Why are we, as a league, terminating players' contracts as opposed to demanding a transfer fee? We're never going to improve our standing in the transfer market if we keep doing that. They'll they'll argue that oh, this was a one-time thing. This is a this is a unique situation, but. It's not like no, it's not. No, it's 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 that's an excuse for for a situation that you're going to run into again. Like it's happened three times this yeah. summer, and so it's going to happen again. Absolutely, as the, especially as the league gets bigger and starts attracting bigger names from around the world, especially younger names who can, especially ones who can still play, who aren't viewing this as a retirement village. Who are looking it's to move good. on. You know, yeah. I mean, they're going to demand, oh, well, you know, I can't get this deal done if if you demand a transfer fee, so terminate my contract. You did it before. You did it with this guy. You did it with this guy. Look at Adi right now over in Portland. Yeah, exactly. You're having, you're having a tug of war out there. It's ugly. It's going to get uglier. Hopefully not. I'm just saying it might. Um, I don't mean to imply that it absolutely will. But it has the potential to get really ugly. And nobody wants that. In sports, you run into this, especially... The thing that comes to mind for me is baseball when you have arbitration agreements after the first three years of free agency where the team and the player have to go to a court and decide how much the player is worth. That can hurt. I mean, that's a hard thing to do. You're telling somebody what they're worth and they you're tell, you're trying to tell them that they're not worth as much as maybe they are or they think they are. I mean, this isn't something that's great for negotiation when he gets down into it. And this isn't something that's great for the league, especially in the MLS in a growing league. I thought the league looked really bad with the video. Um, a lot of the tweets and whatnot, uh, as we were going to get into the Brian Strauss tweet, um, arena's comments. It's, it's been a weird, like 24 hours with all this 48 hours. Oh, and also Jerry, Jay Mariotti unlocked his Twitter account to tweet tonight about bloggers. And, uh, that went about as well as you would think. Oh boy. I'm glad I missed that one. Yeah. I'm starting to think someone hit his Twitter password and he found it. So, oh, yeah. no. 
So let's let's start with Strauss. Um, yeah. What what he had to say about you know MLS you know overvaluing their own content creators and kind of going for that that whole like kind of snarky kind of you know tabloid's not the right word you know he said you know the the quote that past though style uh that social media driven style um and he you know kind of you know hit at the league for not cultivating independent media there there's things to be said for it and you know he's in a different position than than we are so i i can definitely see the frustration with the league not being more maybe welcoming to independent media and not, you know, providing more access to independent media. And I'm sure, you know, that's a huge challenge. And, you know, we haven't seen it too much here yet, but I'm sure things will happen where, you know, the media in Atlanta is is wanting comments or wanting access to Atlanta United and they're not going to get what they want. Um, I think soccer media is possibly a little more sensitive to it than other sports and it it could go both ways that could be because you know other leagues and other teams just get it more and they're going to provide more access and provide more information um i'm not fully convinced that's the case i think sometimes maybe soccer media expects you know too much out of the leagues and the teams um I think it's it has to be a two way street. I just I don't think it's one sided either way, and you know where you don't get maybe complete access to a player or a coach or to a situation, you can still cover it and you can still get it out there, and that shouldn't hamstring you from from covering the league. Um, I I totally see where Strauss is coming from, and I think the league needs to. I, I don't know if if cultivate is maybe the right word, but they have to be more supportive of independent media because then they don't feel like they have to do it themselves, and then they don't get into the situation like they did with Dijon, and they do it all the time on the website. You know, you look at MLSsoccer.com and they're talking about you know rumors of players coming to MLS or players leaving MLS, and that's one thing on Sports Illustrated's website. It's a whole different thing when the league itself is putting this out there. Yeah. And that's, uh, and we've had this discussion in the last few weeks. Uh, it's actually our archives. If you'd like to find it about talking about the connect, the, the relationship between the media and the league and the growth of media going forward. Uh, we've had some really good questions about that. And this is a good example of the way things need to change. And well, I shouldn't say need to change, um, need to develop between the relationship between the media and the league and not even just the professional media, as you said, bloggers, uh, people doing independent things and kind of building a presence and, you know, building a relationship, uh, where they're not kind of pushed away off to the side by the league and the league tries to do everything themselves, but where there's a partnership, you see this in so many other sports, especially, um, and I say this because it is a quote unquote amateur sport, college football, uh, where you have a relationship between the media professional and the media amateur and the league itself. Yeah, I mean, you, you nailed it when you said you know a relationship because that's what it is. You know, if you if you're on if you're in the media side 
and whatever level that is, and you treat the team, the league with respect, then you should get that reciprocated to you. And you should, you know, be able to at least get the information you need or at least be told, well, you can't get it now, but you will get it this or you'll get this or whatever. It has to be a give and take relationship and you have to treat it that way. You know, you can't, you know, on both sides, if, if the, the writer or podcaster, whoever puts something out there and, you know, criticizes the manager for the decisions they made in this game, the team can't get defensive and say, no, you can't criticize my manager. So you can't come like rail salt Lake did. That's never going to fly. Um, you also, if you're the reporter and you ask for an interview and you don't get it, or you ask for a comment on something that the team can't comment on yet, you can't, you know, fly off the handle and, you know, take it personally, like you're personally offended because sometimes being, you know, in on the, the front office side, you can't talk about something yet. You just can't, it's not there. You can't, you know, it's being negotiated or this is happening or whatever, and you just can't do it. You, you have to be able to put yourself on the other side's shoes and, it has to be that true relationship. It, you have to look at it almost like a friendship in some ways. You know, you have to respect one another and work together because you're both working together. And this is where you get back into, you know, American soccer media not being critical enough, which is what some people say, or not, you know, digging into every conspiracy theory that anybody has to say. And there is an element of people in soccer media support soccer to a degree you know i mean it's it's the same with baseball it's the same with football it's the same with basketball you know these the people who dedicate their lives to being in the media covering a sport generally love that sport and you can still be critical and you can still want it to get better and you can still you know challenge people and teams and leagues but at the end of the day you don't want to destroy that sport you know what i mean yeah i think it's important for us to um I think it's important to us to recognize and to celebrate what's great about it, what we love about it. But I think it's also your responsibility to point out things that can be improved and point out criticisms, not just to point them out for the sake of it, but in ways that things can be improved because you want it to be better. Exactly. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, as a writer, as a podcaster, you want to have something to cover. And on the, the team side, you want to have people covering you. So you, you have to work together, you know, to achieve those things. So that's what it, that's just what it comes back to for me is there has to be that, that relationship for it to work. And that relationship has to be built on trust and respect. And if that's there, then both sides will benefit from it. But the league has to be willing to take some criticism when, when it's warranted and they have to understand that that criticism is coming from people who care and, you know, aren't it's not coming from. And I'm trying to think of a soccer hater at the moment. Uh, your boy, Shaughnessy, no. he's, I guess he's probably the soccer <laughs> hater du jour. It's just because um, he recycles the same article every four years. Yeah. So if, if that criticism is coming from him, yeah, you're going to be like, oh, well, I don't like that guy. If that criticism is coming from Brian Strauss or Grant Wall or Jason Davis or, you know, somebody who is obviously loves soccer and loves the league and wants it to be successful, you have to take that into consideration and you have to say, well, you know, I'm not saying like, oh, well, just because they criticize me, they're right. But don't take it personal and shut the door to ever talking to that person again. That's crazy. 
Yeah, absolutely. And we'll see how it develops. Um, so we like to have things to cover. So announce a manager, Atlanta. Love you. <laughs> Love you. Um, anyway, uh, we also have MLS things to discuss, Jason. Yeah. Um, I, I don't like that we have MLS things to discuss because it's an international week and you should not have situations where teams are fighting for playoff spots without their best players, but this is we uh, do. That's another thing that I meant to ask last night, and I'll ask tonight. Do you think that would be an appeal for a guy like Wayne Rooney to come to the uh, U.S. appealing to teams, that you could get a guy like Rooney who's going to retire from international football in 2018? Yes, it gives you extra value because you know you're not going to be losing that guy. Um, that's That's why you see some of the... Argentines and Uruguayans who come in who are not with their national team, like Amaro Diaz, who's a great player, but not going to get called into Argentina. So, okay, you're not going to lose him in these weeks. Oh, Dallas has an advantage when they're playing Portland. Um, I'm trying to think of some Portland players who have been called into. Nagby is the biggest one. You know, you're missing Darlington Nagby. And Dallas is not at full strength, but they are going to have some of their key players. So also they have an army of the undead that is called the, uh, Academy system. They can throw you. Exactly. I mean, it's just, we shouldn't even be worried about this. We shouldn't be looking at teams like depth in comparison of national team players. That should be a good thing, not a bad thing. Anyway. Um, so, uh, MLS quick roundup and we'll keep it quick ish. Uh, New York city won tonight because basically this was, this was Washington tonight. They led, they trailed, they made it fun and tied, and then they lost. It was a roller coaster of emotions for Washington. Yeah, and they were t- missing. That was the most Tyler Clippard game I've seen in a while. <laughs> I mean, DC was missing Steve Birnbaum. Yeah. The center back. And you look at the goals they gave up, and you wonder okay, if they had their top center back, maybe things would have been different. Um, Frank Lampard, though, man. Dude, he's, he's, he's out there to ruin your life. If he he's is just breaking dreams right now. Um, and he's breaking, you know, I think the, uh, oh, I wish I could remember the Twitter account. Uh, it's like freezing cold takes. They're, they're awesome. And I'm sure they're going to pull up a bunch of Frank Lampard freezing cold takes from the past because he's, he's doing the business right now. And I would not want to see Frank Lampard in the playoffs the way he's playing, he's scoring goals. He's getting into positions and finishing and it's what he's done his whole career. And now it's starting to click for, for New York city. And, you know, as much as Toronto was looking like the team there for a while with, with Giovinco out and then that pretty surprising loss to Montreal to me. Um, now they're I missing their striker, city. by the way. Yeah. I mean, now they're missing Giovinco and then, you know, it's just an Altidore's hamstring could go at any time. <laughs> I mean, this is, this oh, is, let's, not, let's not kid it. That thing is going to blow when you, <laughs> it's going to, it's going to absolutely explode and it's going to be so sad. This is the reality of Josie Altidore. So, you know, Toronto is just, I, I think New York city is kind of, you know, in the, the catbird seat in the East. Yeah. Then maybe that's the case. Um, so, aside from that, uh, Philly and Red Bulls are just kind of fighting there. I feel like they're fighting to be the person team who's going to challenge that spot, to challenge to get one of those top two spots. And, you know, maybe New York or Toronto kind of slips up and, you know, stubs their toe and their sto- toe catches on fire. 
I don't think so. Maybe it happens. But uh, they're kind of fighting it out to... At this point, it's almost like, who do you want... Like, which which one of y'all wants to face who in the first round of the playoff that no one wants to play in? And you'll see some of that. I think Philly is the one who, who could make a jump into that top two. Uh, they're a different team with Bedoya now. And... I think they have to be considered as a a threat to the top two. And if Toronto slips up too much with injuries and just poor play and all that, uh, Philly could Philly could jump them. That's true. Um, as we take a look out west, San Jose fired their coach. Um, fired their general manager. I'm sorry, fired their general manager. What? I'm not paying attention to Dominic anymore. Kinnear is very furious with you. He just lost his job. He'll get, he'll be he'll okay in that case he'll have a very nice surprise waiting for him in the morning. It's his oh, yeah. job. It's still there. Um John Doyle on the other hand. John yeah. Doyle's happy with me because he still has a job, but he'll have a very bad surprise waiting for him tomorrow morning. He tried to give him his job back. Uh he's not happy with me about it either. No, you just messed up the whole HR department of the San Jose Earthquakes. <laughs> I, oh please. That's the least of the problems right now. It kinda is. I mean San Jose, you know, they had the the run with the Goonies and getting, you know, where they were they were exciting, they were scoring goals, and now they're it, it kind of reminds me of Georgia under Mark Richt. Like they don't stink. They're not terrible, but they're not good either. I thought you were gonna tell me he's lost control of the AJC. Um Actually, I don't think they have because I think maybe before when they were the Goonies, they were super physical and Stephen Linhart was decking people all day and Alan Gordon was doing it too and all that was happening. Then you could have said maybe they lost control, but they were actually good at that point. So they were kind of in control. Um, oh. oh, and okay. This was on my uh, my hot take list for earlier and I didn't get to use it. So I'm going to use it now since we're talking yeah, about please. San Jose. If Steven Linhart is available in the expansion draft, take him. And the reason I'm going to say that is he gives you a backup for Kenwin Jones as a target forward. And he is a handful to play against. He's had injuries. He's not what he used to be. You don't need him to play 90 minutes every week. If you have him as a backup in that squad and you can get him, he's not on a huge contract, get him. I, I think he's been vastly underrated because he is kind of that heel personality. Um which would fit in perfectly with what we're trying to do here. So bring him in. He can be the uh, the Arn Anderson of our, our four horsemen that we're creating. Yes, I am about this. Um, next up on our list of teams that might make changes, as you put it, uh, Vancouver. Because all yeah. of Cascadia has to undergo some sort of chaos. Vancouver is just, I don't know what has happened there. Um, they looked great last season and then had some... Injury problems at a bad time of the year late going into the playoffs and, you know, kind of slid out quickly. And then this year they started okay and it's just fizzled in a big way. And if if they, you know, don't make the playoffs or even if they get bounced in the first round, I wonder if they would make changes. I wonder if, if Robinson would, would be gone. That's possible. Um I guess the thing I have, the way I always view it is there's two ways to look at it. You can look at it of like, you know, are we going to, I mean, they're kind of tied together. The idea of, are we going to get better? And how is everyone else doing around us? Like, cause that's, Seattle, that's 
Seattle is, despite Seattle getting railroaded in Portland, they tried to come back and then they got slapped back down into the grave. But like Portland is kind of right at the ship. Seattle has come out of the ground and just started eating people alive until last week. I mean, now they've had a couple rough breaks, but you know, everyone around you is doing things. You have to do things too. That's it. If you're Vancouver, you look at it. Portland won MLS Cup in 2015. Seattle's won Open Cups, and they've they've been successful, and they draw a ton of fans, and they're going to make a big splash with their coaching hire more than likely. And they signed the the best midseason acquisition in Nicholas Ladero. So Vancouver's going to have to answer that with something. And if they just fizzle out and don't make the playoffs or sneak in and, you know, get bounced in the, in the first game, I I think they might have to make a change. And Carl Robinson's done a good job with the Whitecaps, but he hasn't gotten over this hump and, and maybe it's just not going to work there for him. Maybe not, but like you said, they're going to have to make a change because eventually, and maybe, you know, and if I were people, I'd be, if I were people, um, <laughs> leave me alone. Um, if are the fans, I'd be anxious. Everyone else is doing so well and you're just there. And yeah. it's not to say you haven't been successful, but you haven't brought home trophies. And that is no. how we measure success. Every sport measures success differently to an extent. Uh, but the ultimate prize there is trophies. And when your rivals are bringing in trophies and you're just kind of, you know, sitting there in the kiddie pool still, um, what are you gonna do? You got to change it up. Yeah, and that's, that sucks, but yeah, but that's it. that's the reality of of the business of sports. I mean, the results have to be there, and if the results aren't there, the headlines have to be there, and if you're not getting either one, then you got to make a change. Yeah. Um, and then finally, Jason, quick look. We have our game of the week, and it is you teased it all earlier. It's Dallas and Portland missing a slew of players from Portland. But Dallas, again, has the army of the undead. They are the White Walkers. They have an entire uh, academy system they can throw at you at any given moment. Yeah, this one's going to be a good one. I wish it was a a national TV game, but it's on MLS Live Saturday night. Um, Dallas needs to be in more national TV games. It's it's a travesty they're not because they're a fun team to watch. Well, if they make uh, a run in the playoffs, they may be in more games. They should be. And uh, Michael Barrios is is a fun player to watch. If you know, if you saw his goals last week against Houston, he was he was my player of the week. I know Patrick Mullins had a hat trick for DC, but uh, Barrios, I think the two goals he scored were just world class. Um, yeah. Dallas has been able to kind of get over this you know transition after they sold Fabian Castillo. They they're looking good. They're they're leading the supporter shields, you know, standings. They're in the final of the U.S. Open Cup. They're they're going for that treble that we've talked about on the show. Uh, that's never been done. Um, they're at home in this game, and they, you know, haven't lost in their last twenty games at home. And then you look on the other side, and Portland hasn't won in their last thirteen away. So you know the odds are on Dallas to get this done. Um, Portland is coming off of a good result. So they're going to, you know, have some momentum, but they're going to be missing Darlington Nagby, which is a hard player to replace. Yeah. Uh, I think if Portland can, can find a draw out of this, they'd be happy with it. 
uh, Dallas is, is looking for all the points they can get because they're they're looking for that supporter shield. They're they're not messing around. They're not worried about, oh, well, we've got to rest players and we've got to do this and we've got to do that. They want all the trophies, and Pereja has made they that should. clear. And they should. I, I love that attitude. I love that they're not, you know, and I love that we're not looking at, oh, was it, was it the Colts who had the unbeaten record going late in the NFL season a few years ago? And they... They sat players to rest for the playoffs, and then they lost in the playoffs, and they looked like idiots. Warms my heart every time. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. Don't do that. Just just win all the games that are in front of you, and and win all the trophies, and not worry about resting guys. They're these are professional athletes at this point. They want to win these games. They want to play in these games. Play them. So I would, I would. My guess here is that Dallas is going to win this. Um, I just think that. Missing Nagby is is a lot to overcome for Portland, and then they're going to be in Dallas. You're going to have, you know, some some weather to deal with. It's probably going to be pretty pretty warm. That's going to be a a challenge. Uh, that's where you get into some of these challenges that you see in MLS that you don't see in other leagues. I think Dallas probably gets it done with a a, a two one or a, a one nothing. I don't think it'll be a blowout, but I think they'll they'll have enough to see Portland off. It is a quote unquote professional win. That's a good way to put it. Um, I'm thinking draw, actually. Um, and because you're right, I expect to see them lose now because why not? Um, <clears throat> you're good. No, but why, why do you think Portland can get a draw in this game? I think they want the point. I don't they think they it. can go. I don't think they can go in and win. But I think because no matter like, OK, you buried Seattle last week. That's great. Um, they're still going to be nipping at your heels. Uh, Vancouver is there still. They're kind of have a pulse you need to secure yourself and get as many points as possible and this is a tough test i mean you're in the middle of an international period i don't know that i think they find a way to get a point like a really stupid two to draw kind of game like there might be an own goal somewhere looking at portland and, and how they've played i mean that's definitely possible um they they've Scored a good number of goals this year, but they've also given up a bunch. One thing that they have gotten better about, and this has been the development of Caleb Porter as a manager in this league, is they've they've been able to get points in situations like this sometimes. They've been able to get points playing more defensively than you might think a Caleb Porter team would. They've added more options into their their style of play. So if they come in with a defensive posture here and can can ride a counterattack, it's it's possible for them to get a point. I think Dallas has too much. I think Dallas will will have enough to get past them here, but Portland will have to play strong defensively and they'll have to counter well to to get that draw that you're you're thinking. Also, it's Portland and late season magic. I mean, they did this, and it's all, I was always tickled by this, when they did the game last week, they did the inside the locker room before the game, and Porter mentioned it to the players. Absolutely. This is a team that, at the end of the season, when things are winding down, like you said, they find points at the end of the season, where they probably shouldn't find points. And I think they can ride the high off of, uh, off of what happened last week, and I think they find a point here. If they don't, I'm not going to be, you know, falling in the floor shocked. I'd be shocked if they win, honestly. Um, but I, yeah, that would I, shock. Yeah, give me a two-two draw. 
We'll see. It'll be a fun one to watch. I mean, it's two two teams that are just as a neutral fan that are entertaining to watch. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'll definitely be tuned into that one. Yeah. Well, otherwise, that about wraps it up this week of the Peachtree Post. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us, of course, you can find us on Twitter. The Peachtree Post is on Twitter, Peachtree underscore post. You can find Jason at Jason, un- uh, I'm sorry, Long Shoe. <laughs> Man. Um, you can find him at Long Shoe. You can find me. Eight mail sent to somebody completely different. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to have him send it to Jason Smith. Um, nice. Uh, you can find me at Jarrett underscore Smith. And as always, check out Dirty South Soccer. Keep up to date with everything going on in Atlanta. Managerial searches, hashtag manager watch. Uh, Since Vishava Watch uh, always has to have a sequel. And of course, you find us here every week. Hope to see you next week. Thanks again. And we'll.